But when a night like this comes and I find that I'm fighting back the tears all the way through the opening songs, there's a story that I'm reminded of that he tells of one Thanksgiving when all of his family, when he was a boy, had gathered and uh, the food was out on the table and everything's hot and finally one of the uncles was asked to pray and he prayed so long that everybody gets grumpy and the, and the food starts to get cold and somebody kicks him under the table and then Keeler adds in this line, he says, this is Uncle Alfred. He never got over the death of Jesus. I remember hearing that and laughing at the time because I understood the humor of the moment, but I ended up listening to it a second time and I started whispering to God, make me like him. Make me one of those people who never gets over the death of Jesus. And there are, there's our night like tonight when there are certain songs that come in and I have memories of when we started to sing some of the songs or where I was when I first heard a song like At the Cross. And, and, the, and there are powerful associations that come. And then we think about what the cross means and the way Dave set up that song a few minutes ago. And I, I think that there are memories created when we gather on nights like this to observe the memory of the cross. And I don't know what God is going to communicate to your heart in particular, but I know that on nights like this, there have been times when my heart has been radically changed. And my hope and prayer is that God never stops doing that for any of us. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for the opportunity for us to gather here tonight to sing songs that touch the heart, that remind us of what Jesus has done and how Jesus has done it. We're surrounded by the hearts that Max has painted after celebrating his story last week. And my thoughts are drawn to Nancy Merrifield as she's battling day by day against a very aggressive form of cancer. And I ask that you would walk with her and as she watches this service, that she would know that we are all beseeching the King of Heaven to pour out your power into her life and to heal her. Truth is, there are things in all of our hearts, Lord, that you need to heal. Whether it's the, the sin or the addiction or the, the battle we don't want to tell anybody about that we can't seem to win by ourselves. Whether it's the private pain or the struggle, the rejection that somebody is masking over by saying everything's fine when we come together. Or whether it's those who've really been walking very far from you, who just tuned in tonight to wonder what Good Friday's all about again. And I pray that you will continue to do what only you can do, in changing and transforming hearts and people and the trajectory of lives. And we invite you into our presence and into our lives to do just that. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. In 2013, Time Magazine published a study of what they considered the 100 most significant people in history. The authors worked their way through 9,000 potential candidates to finally come up with a top 100 of all time. And the authors understood that not everyone would agree with their choices, yet it's an interesting look and an interesting task that they took on. 
Here are the top 10 from that list. Number one was Jesus. How fascinating that Time Magazine would pick Jesus first. And then the rest of the 10, just to roll them out, Napoleon, Muhammad, Shakespeare, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Adolf Hitler, we now know that this wasn't a popularity contest, Aristotle, Alexander the Great, and Thomas Jefferson. A pastor in Indiana named Jeff Streit read through that list and concluded that there was one person who didn't make the cut, a person most Christians would not think to be among the most significant, who should have made that list. His contribution to world history was most significant or more significant than all the contributions of Napoleon, Shakespeare, Lincoln, Washington, and Jefferson all put together. His name might surprise you. Pontius Pilate. Let me explain why I agree with that conclusion. We're calling this Holy Week series The Cross and the Crown. On Palm Sunday, last Sunday, we noted how Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a borrowed foal of a donkey, literally saddled with the message of the cross. He did not ride in as a conquering hero or as a mighty general. He rode in as the humble king of a different kind of kingdom. Tonight, we're going to look at the role of the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, the role that he played in contributing to the death of Jesus the King. And so I want to ask that question, what role, what impact did Pontius Pilate have on Good Friday? We're going to look at a few short observations about what Pilate can teach us about Good Friday. Now here's the first observation. We, you and I, are prone to role confusion regarding Jesus. In uh, John's Gospel, we read, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate had been in this conversation that Miranda read about, and this is the rest of the conversation as it stretches out. And he says to Jesus, don't you realize that I have power to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Now, Pilate had initially interviewed Jesus and found him innocent of any crime. He had identified that some consider Jesus to be the king of the Jews. But he saw Jesus as no threat because Jesus insisted that his kingdom was from another place. And Jesus was not lining his servants up to fight for him. So Pilate went back to the religious leaders of the city of Jerusalem and offered to release Jesus at the time of Passover. But the religious leaders wanted Jesus dead. This was what prompted Pilate's second conversation with Jesus. This time, Pilate gave his, don't you know who I am response. Don't you love it when politicians do that? Don't you know who I am and what I can do or what power I hold over you? But Jesus reminded Pilate that he would have no authority if it was not granted from above, even in this difficult hour. Jesus knew exactly who he was, even in that moment. Pilate displayed what I would call role confusion blindness. The circumstances made it seem that he had power over Jesus, that he alone could determine the outcome of Jesus' life and ministry. 
But Jesus let Pilate know that there is a God who reigns over all. Even in that very difficult moment, as Jesus had been beaten and bloodied and was standing there before Pilate, seated on the throne of judgment, and nothing that Pilate could do happens apart from God's set plan and foreknowledge. Pilate was confused by the setting. He was sitting on a throne, and Jesus was the one who was accused. Pilate was blinded by temporary appearances of power. But here we are 2,000 years later, and Jesus is still the most significant person ever to have walked on this earth, even in a day of religious apathy, while Pilate doesn't even make the list of the top 100. You see how things really were and how things have worked out? And we have the vantage point of time to look back, not Time Magazine, time itself, to look back and realize that Jesus' perspective was right and Pilate's was totally off kilter, blinded by the trappings of power. Before judging Pilate too harshly, we need to recognize that we often do the same thing today. People routinely make judgments about Jesus as if their perspective is all that matters. I think of the young woman who goes through a crisis of faith. Her prayer is not answered the way that she wants, and she decides that there is no God. Because she has decided this, she begins to act as if the matter is settled. God doesn't exist because she decided so. Or I think of the man who states that Christians are people who need a crutch. He throws that slogan around as if it will ward off any serious discussion and thinking about Jesus. What he fails to see is that everyone experiences some of the hardships of life and many experience more than others. But Christians have this huge advantage because we go through all of these difficult circumstances with the help, strength, wisdom, and hope that come from the Lord. And we actually wonder, how do people who don't have Jesus in their lives, how do they possibly go through those hard times? Each of these people have bought into the same confusion that plagued Pontius Pilate. Simply because we see it this way does not necessarily make it so. Pilate sat on the governor's throne, but he lacked perspective that three days forward would bring. Let me ask, is it possible that some who are listening to this Good Friday service, either here in the room or online tonight, suffer from the same pre-Good Friday perspective? We think we're in charge, and then Jesus Jesus reveals that he has been in control all along. Here's the second lesson we can learn from Pilate. The first is that we are prone to role confusion regarding Jesus. The second is we care too much about what others think. John 19:4. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, "Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him." When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, "Here is the man." As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. In the end, Pilate cared too much about what this group of religious leaders thought. They were a vocal minority, but they were still a minority while Pilate sat 
in the seat of governmental power. And yet as the story unfolds, he did their bidding. He went against his own convictions and gave Jesus up. How often we are prone to do the same thing today. Some say, oh, I'll put my faith in Jesus when the rest of my family is ready. Or I want to get baptized, but I won't do it until somebody else can join me, my spouse, my children, or something. We all want to do it together, and it, it never quite happens. As with Pilate, that is not courageous. That is not leadership, even within a family. Sometimes the cost of following Jesus means that you have to have the courage of your convictions, and sometimes it means you have to go first and trust that others will follow. And when you do, your faith always grows stronger. So Pilate had Jesus beaten, flogged, and crucified, even though he knew he was innocent. The truth Jesus testified to before Pilate was that he had come for this purpose. He had come as the king who dies so his servants can live. What an amazing reversal of roles. Third, we can be too quick to assign blame. Let me read verse 4 again in John 19. It says, Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. John's gospel here connects the innocence of Jesus with this phrase, the Jews. Now you need to realize something. There is an interpretive problem in this chapter that can cause great damage if this is not handled rightly. In New Testament Greek, the word rendered here as the Jews in verse 4 is the word Judeoi. In most of our English translations, They simply render this as the Jews, which leads us to wonder, all Jews, some Jews, many Jews, most Jews, and it doesn't answer. There are three problems with this interpretive decision. First, in other Greek literature, other ancient literature, this word is interpreted as the Judeans, not just the Jews, meaning focused on location rather than ethnicity. Second, it cannot possibly mean all Jews because John uses the same term in other parts of his gospel when he describes many Jews who put their faith in Jesus and even Jesus' own disciples were all Jews. So this term was used within an internal uh, debate, an internal understanding that within the culture he was designating some by this term that usually meant the religious leaders rather than all of the people. The third problem with this interpretive decision is that several people in the past have used the designation the Jews to blame the death of Jesus on all Jewish people when it was the leaders in Jerusalem who were responsible. And much damage has been done by mishandling these sacred texts that we work our way through tonight. This poor interpretation has led to hatred of Jews by some Christians in the past. And this is always wrong, always a distortion of Christian faith. It leaves out the many Jews who were Jesus' earliest followers. And we forget that John, the author of this gospel, was also a Jew. And he used this term to distinguish one group of people who had set themselves in opposition to Jesus 
within the many pockets of diversity of Jewish thinking on that day. We're prone to role confusion with Jesus. Sometimes we care too much about what others think, like Pilate did that night. We can be too quick to assign blame. And here's a fourth lesson we can learn from Pilate. God often fulfills his plans through unlikely people. How often have we seen that through the years if we've worked through different parts of Scripture? I jump ahead to John 19, verses 19 to 21. There it says, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. And he deliberately left it there. Pilate deliberately had the words chosen for that placard, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. It brings us back to that earlier conversation that Jesus had with Pilate when Pilate said, you are a king then. And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. The leaders of the religious movement in the city tried to use this reality as a claim against Jesus, telling Pilate that the reason Jesus should be crucified was that he had claimed to be a king, specifically king of the Jews. And they thought he should be put to death for that. Where Pilate saw no threat, the leaders wanted him charged with treason against Caesar. Against the desires of the leaders, Pilate pointed out the irony. Jesus had not committed any crime and he had not done any act of violence. He had not joined an insurrection or tried to overthrow the emperor or the king. Yet his enemies wanted him to suffer on the cross for reigning over a spiritual kingdom and for claiming to be the son of God. Pilate wanted to wash his hands and blame the Jewish religious leaders at the same time, which is why he had that sign put over the cross. This is where Pilate's significance comes into play. Because of Pilate and his stubbornness, Jesus didn't die as a criminal. Jesus died as the king of the Jews. Pilate had the authority to let Jesus go, but he sent him to the cross he pronounced that there was no charge against Jesus, but punished him anyway. So Jesus died on a Roman cross for claiming to reign over a spiritual kingdom. It was a Roman penalty meted out on a Roman cross to satisfy jealous religious leaders within Jerusalem. And announced to the world in three dominant languages, the trade languages of the day, Aramaic, Latin, and Greek Aramaic, the street language of the Middle East, Latin, the official language of the Roman court, and Greek, the business language of, no, of the non-Jewish world at that time. With that sign, Pilate told the world that Jesus was the king who dies for his people, that they may live a new life. The religious leaders had rejected Jesus and the notion of a suffering Messiah. They rejected the notion of a messianic king who comes to die. They rejected the notion that he could also be the son of God who takes on human life at the same time. They even claimed that his death was evidence that he was not from God at all. 
But the cross declares to all the world that Jesus died as the King of the Jews, sent to the Jews first, and then as Savior to all the world. So if we boil it down to one statement, this is it. The cross reveals Jesus as the king who willingly but unfairly dies so that his servants may live like they've never lived before. That's the message of Good Friday. Our Jesus willingly goes to the cross as the only king who dies for his servants that you and I could live a radically different kind of life like you've never lived before. I have a question on the heels of these lessons from Pontius Pilate. Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? In a few minutes, we're going to celebrate communion together, and I can't think of a better time to make the decision to get off the fence wherever you are and to put your faith in Jesus and to make the act of celebrating communion your first decisive step as a newly spiritually born Christ follower. How do you do that? Make a decision in your mind, you let it be whispered on your lips so that your heart is revealed to God. And when you do that, change happens. God begins to work on the inside of you. You can pray a prayer something like this. And if God is prompting you, whisper it out or speak it out right where you are. Jesus, thank you for coming to die. In order to free your people from the power of sin and death so that we may live a new life. I believe and trust that you are the Savior sent from God. And I will follow you from this day on. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you do that, the act of celebrating communion that Pastor Christie is going to lead us in right now becomes a moment of worship like you've never known before.